might bring you all back. If I can drag you away from your conversations. All right. I'm going to read the, uh, the Bible reading for this morning. Uh, and it's uh, an interesting one. So uh, Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 13. The parable of the shrewd manager. So Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do uh, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. So as I said before, I'm Cameron. Um, welcome to the Billabong. I am not the minister here. The minister is Luke, and unfortunately he is not here today. He is actually on long service leave, but he was going to be here today, but then he got COVID. So um, pr- be praying for Luke. Um, he is hopefully in bed, but probably not. Um, Anyway, good morning everyone and welcome to Oikonomics Part 1. If you're here looking for the course in Pig Latin, Oikonomics is just down the road. Um, I get the fun privilege today of kicking off this new series and I thought I'd start by getting the feel um, for the room about a couple of things. So um, get your hands ready to put up. So hands up if you have at least one friend. Excellent, excellent. Now, number two, hands up if you have at least one dollar. Cool. Not, not necessarily on you, but you, yeah, okay. Number three, hands up if you have invested your time, your money, your friendship, your intelligence, or something like that in something or someone before. Excellent. Um, number four, hands up if you just need to stretch your arms out a little. Oh, there we go, yep. And lastly, hands up if you know what the word Oikonomics means. Excellent. <laughs> Got a couple of nerds over there. <laughs> now, 
let's, let's focus on that last one. Now, oikonomics is not really a word, but it also is. It's the title of a book by Mike Breen and Ben Sternke, um, which explores how to invest in the way that Jesus did, a book that is pretty much the basis of our series. Now, the word economics comes from the Greek roots of the word oikos, which means part of the household, and nomos, the customs or the law. So really, oikonomics, if you think about it, is actually just the word economics. But there's more of a focus on that traditional household, the oikos. Now, in the ancient world, the word household or oikos wasn't just like the physical building you lived in. It wasn't your immediate family. It included your extended family, included your friends, it included your workplace. It was, it was kind of everything involved in your life, your immediate life. Um, so the word oikos is, is like the word family. It's, it's like the word, like we use the word, we can use the word oikos to describe God's family. I want you to think about your own oikos. Who in your life are you closest with? Who do you interact with the most? So I've already mentioned um, economics and investing, and hopefully it's early enough in the sermon that I haven't already lost those of you who are like, oh no, oh money stuff, uh, um, and people who couldn't care less about this subject, because I've got some good news for you, it's not about money. It's mostly not about money. Um, money is the most discussed topic in the Bible. It's crazy. You look at the stats, money then somewhere down here is faith and love and the things that we, we think are important, but money is number one. Um, it's the most discussed topic and it has a huge impact in the biblical narrative. You look at Jesus' parables and a lot of them are to do with money. Um, but it also has a huge impact on our modern day lives. But in the scheme of investing as Jesus did, it comes up short. As we look at oikos economics... I really want to drive home the fact that true wealth is not just about money. I'm going to say that again. True wealth is not just about money. And true wealth is not just about me. It's not just about you. What is true wealth then? Well, Breen and Sternke um, sum it up into what they call the five capitals. And for those of you who don't know, a capital... Is, is are there goods and assets that are measured to determine wealth? So the, the modern-day example of capital, you might think about the money you have in your bank account or the house that you own. Or for a business, it's, it's kind of the, 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 the cash reserves they have or the things that they own that they can determine the wealth of the business. These five capitals, however, are a little bit different, but they can be seen throughout the whole Bible. Let's explore how Jesus taught this through the parable of the shrewd manager. But before we do that, let's take a quick step back. And what do we think about the characters in this parable? Um, It's said that this is actually called the vacation scripture. The Bible passage that ministers and preachers leave their replacements to preach when they go off on holiday or get COVID. Um, I I did actually choose this, though. Luke didn't make me do this. (laughs) Um, Who here wants to be the rich man? 
the guy who gets ripped off. Who here wants to be the manager, the hero of the story, who gets fired and is the one ripping off his boss? If there's one thing the Bible's full of, it's um, unlikely heroes and unlikely villains. Just look at Jesus. What did he say? Love your enemies? That's not something a hero says, is it? But I think the point of this parable is not for us to actually emulate the actions of these characters, but to go a bit deeper and to see them in terms of the more foundational principles. And I believe this comes to a big conclusion, um, or big climax, sorry, at the end, where it says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is kind of a... It's like the, the hashtag, the Twitter moment of, you cannot serve both God and money. You can just put that done, sermon over. But that's not the controversial bit. That's the easy bit. And we'll come back to that. For now, let's go through the passage and see if we can see where these five capitals are and how they're at work. So, um, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you can no longer be, you can be manager any longer. Cannot be manager any longer. Um, Things aren't looking good for the manager at the beginning. He's wasted his master's money and he's about to get the sack. Now, when we look at this, we know that it's not, he hasn't committed fraud yet. He hasn't kind of done anything just outrageous because he's getting the sack but he still has a bit of leeway he still has a bit of room the master's just been like look i've got to let you go but he's got some time we actually see already the first of the capitals financial capital this is obvious this is plain easy to see it's about money money is one of the capitals it's important in the bible it's important to us but it's not the most important The next bit happens is the manager says to himself, what should I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. Capital number two is here. It's a bit hidden. But in contemplating the mess that he's in, the manager first goes to a way to try and gain financial capital through investing in physical capital. Strong enough to dig, go out and do manual labour. Physical capital is manual labor. It's the going out and doing things. It's the, the amount of time and energy that we have to invest. The manager recognizes that he doesn't actually have strengths in this area. Where he does, however, is in the next section. By the way, just a little side note. So I, I've got a um, three-year-old daughter at home, and when like, putting her to bed, we read stories. And so whenever anyone talks in a story, I try and put on a funny voice. And I was just thinking, is it, is it hypocrisy? Is it bad to put on funny voices when reading out Bible verses? Hmm. I'm not going to today, but um, just food for thought. So he says, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. We actually see two capitals here. But capital number three comes um, first off, and that's intellectual capital. We all have thoughts, we have ideas and creativity, and we can use our intellect to invest in our lives and in the lives of others. His brilliant idea is to go around to his master's clients and to give them more discounts on their bills. 
So he's ripping off his master's money in order to gain a few friends. In effect, he's using his intellectual capital, trading his financial capital, or his master's financial capital, in order to gain capital number four, which is relational capital. What's really interesting here, though, is the reaction of the master. It says the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Now, a lot of Jesus' parables, we can kind of see how there's different characters associated to different things. A lot of time, there's a God character. A lot of time, there's a human character. There's an unbeliever. There's a believer. And it's, it's really kind of, most of them are straightforward. After you kind of hear Jesus' explanation at the end, or after you've kind of delved into a little bit. But this is a bit weird. This, this one is just a little bit off. If we're, we're all sitting in the rich man's shoes right now, why did he have that reaction? How would you have reacted? It's all to do with what we value. So far, we've looked at four capitals. How would you rank these capitals? How would you order them? What gets the most of your attention, the most of your time, your thoughts? The master knew this. He knew the value of intellectual and relational capital was actually worth more than financial. He could see how the manager shrewdly used his influence to build up something that mattered. The manager's definitely still getting fired, probably even faster now, but he got commended. What we're going to look into in more detail at the, oh, sorry, we're going to look into more detail at these four capitals over the next four weeks. Today we're focusing on the big one, the area of life that Jesus was constantly drawing our attention to, and that is spiritual capital. You could say that Jesus' whole ministry, his whole mission, was to help people grow and prosper in spiritual capital. He was always trying to bring those around him in relationship with him, in relationship with God. What does investing in spiritual capital look like? Well, Mike Breen, the author of the book, he puts it like this. Spiritual capital is a way of talking about the depth of our relationship with God as a disciple of Jesus, which results in the kind of spiritual equity that we can invest in others. The currency of spiritual capital is wisdom and power that comes from hearing what God is saying and responding with faith and obedience. We deepen our relationship with God to invest it in others. From it, we gain wisdom. Just as God is is a wise father who shares his wisdom with us, And who are we in relationship to our Father God? We're his children. We also get power because God is just not just our Father, but he's a king. And if we are children of the king, that gives us authority and that gives us that power. And how do we get there? It's simple. We listen to what God is saying and we respond with faith and obedience. We've got our five capitals. Financial, intellectual, physical, relational, and spiritual. Five areas that we are called to invest in over our lives. And this brings me to my favorite word of all time. 
Now, I'm a part-time music teacher, and if you've ever come into any of my band or orchestra rehearsals, you'll always hear me say this word. I've even taught my students to say it whenever I say, what's my favorite word? And they'll all yell it back to me. My favorite word is balance. In a musical ensemble, you need balance. You need to be able to hear the important parts. If you've got a kid on drums just blasting away as loudly as he can, you won't hear anything else. It's the same with our five capitals. If you put everything towards getting rich, where is your time and energy spent towards making friends or time with God? If you devote yourself to being an intellectual, how's your physical strength going? Luke 2.52 says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. He had balance in his life. But balance does not mean that everything is at an equal level. For instance, has anyone here watched any Bluey? Now, there is a Bluey, I'm a big fan, if you have not heard me talk about Bluey, then we obviously haven't had much conversation. Um, there's an episode of Bluey where it's a sea, there's a seesaw. Bluey's dad is at one end. Now, Bluey's dad is, is, is a man, he's a hefty man, so he's sitting on one end of the seesaw, and Bluey and her sister Bingo are at the other end, and they're stuck up in the air. And so they start bringing their friends. Their friends start going, 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 and it's just this last little Pomeranian who crawls up and is enough to tip the balance. To, so that their dad goes flying, okay? There were more people at one end than the other. But balance is not about having everything the same. Jesus tries to illustrate through all of his teaching that the focus needs to be on the spiritual. And we can use the other capitals to invest in that. For instance, we can, if we are strong in our relational capital, we can use that relational capital to invest in spiritual or to invest in other areas. Um, in this parable, for instance, Jesus says, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. He's basically saying, it's good to buy friends. Well, kind of. Relational capital has more value than financial in the scheme of things. And investing our financial capital to build up relationships can bring balance. How can, it, how can spiritual capital, though, enrich our other capitals? How can it enrich our oikos? This comes back to an earlier point I made that it's not just about us. It's not just about you. It's about our oikos. It's about our household, our family. When we think of investing in these things, it can't just be for ourselves. At the end of the day, the world doesn't need one perfectly balanced person. It needs communities. It needs families working together, supporting each other, building each other up, and challenging each other. What do we value? All this talk about capitals and economics basically boils down to one big point. What do we value? We can see from Jesus' life that he had his priorities. What are yours? I just want to now spend just a minute 
in silence, and I want you to think about how you would order those five capitals in your life right now. Right now. And I don't want you to think about what you hope it would be. I want you to think what it is. What keeps you up at night? Is it the paying the bills? Is it the making sure you have friends? Is it the, what, what is most at the front of your mind? What worries you? What do you think about all the time? So rank them. And then ask yourself the question, do I have balance? If we properly align our values, we become the people that Jesus calls us to be. Now, if you've heard me preach before, you know that I'm not a fan of long sermons. (laughs) I like to be keep them short to the point, um, and I'm not smart enough to make them long, so, you know. Um, So we're actually just about at the end today. But I want to finish with a scene from one of the greatest TV shows of all time. Not Bluey. (sighs) Sorry. This is the TV show, The Chosen. If you haven't heard me talk about Bluey, you've probably heard me talk about The Chosen. For those of you who haven't seen it, I'm really sorry because this is a huge spoiler. This actually happens in the final episode of season two. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, if you'd like to leave now, that's... No. Um, don't worry, it doesn't spoil anything. It's in the Bible. Kind of. Now, I think it perfectly illustrates the kind of people that Jesus is asking us to be. For a bit of context... The scene that we're going to see is Jesus and his disciple, Matthew. And they've been out camping. They've just been a bit separated from the other disciples. And Matthew has been assisting Jesus as he prepares a sermon. A fairly important sermon. Um, Honestly, it'll probably lose a bit of emotional value um, when you guys watch it, if you haven't made your way through the first two seasons. When I first saw it, I remember almost crying because of the, the weight it had. Um, so, if you don't feel that emotional response, then I suggest you go out and watch all of it to really capture it. If you do, I suggest you go out and watch all of it to understand why you had that emotional response. Um, but we're going to watch this and see what sort of people Jesus is calling us to be.
Have I? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. Yes. But how is it the map? If someone wants to find me, those are the groups they should look for. <laughs> and then? You are the salt of the earth.